0: He is, risen, he, is risen. he is risen, and he's alive. He is risen, and he's alive. He is risen, and he's alive. Is he alive in you? Yes. Then act like it. Hallelujah! Glory! Glory! Glory to God. Hallelujah. 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 We celebrate Resurrection Sunday once a year as a, I won't say holiday, a holy day, but it's a lifestyle that we live every day. Amen? Yeah. Because if he's alive in us, there should be a difference in our lives. There should be a reflection of the Christ in us. Wow. And everywhere we go, people should be recognize that light in us, that recognize that Jesus is alive. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Hallelujah! Hallelujah!
1: Hallelujah! Amen. I'm Pastor Steve, and I am so happy to be here with all of you for this Easter Sunday, this Resurrection Sunday. I am excited because this is the day, right? This is April Fool's Day, <laughs> right? Aren't you excited that it's April Fool's Day? Um, did anybody trick you yet today? Yeah? Somebody got tricked already today? Okay, so um, so I decided that as long as it's April Fool's Day, I'd preach about April Fool's. Um, April Fools. So April Fools, who's a fool today? That's our question for the day. Um, It's Easter Sunday. It's April Fool's Day. And just in case you didn't know, there are people who are not here who think we're fools. Um, And you can't really blame them. They have uh, some reasons why they think we're fools. So... Today, we need to find out who is the April Fool's, who, what, who, what is foolishness, and who's a fool today? So I, before we start, I want you to turn to somebody next to you. Tell, I want you to tell them a story, With two or three, you know, one person or two people next to you. Tell a story about when you were tricked, okay? Uh, you'd rather tell a story about how, when you were tricked somebody else, I know, but tell a story about when you were tricked, April Fool's or something else. Okay, let me hear a story. Who's got a story for us? I okay, Hannah Hannah's got a story for us. She was raising her hand. Uh huh. so yep. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> right. Trick move the wrong piece. Yeah, I thought we loved each other, right. Anybody else have a story? Yeah. Okay, so that's a good reminder that we should remind each other about culture. So there's some people who just got here from Burundi and from Uvira. They have no idea why we would do something like April Fool's. Right? So for those of you who are newer here, April Fool's is a very strange American custom where one time... You have it, you have it there too? Wow. Did we get it from you or you get it from us? I don't know. Okay, maybe it's a worldwide... I'm sure every culture has it. No, I'm sure they don't. But uh, so anyways, we trick each other on the 1st of April. And we deceive each other. And we make people... play make practical jokes on each other that generally tended to be harmless. I can see my kids smiling at me because they're remembering times that April Fool's happened in our house. Now, I very seldom did it because I didn't really like being tricked that much. But my wife is very good. At uh, Practical Jokes and Tricking People. I won't tell you any of the really good ones she pulled on us. But um, anyway, we, we trick each other on April Fool's. We, get, we deceive each other. And we think that something is real when it's not. We think it's actually salt in there when it's not really salt in there. We've, I won't tell you all the tricks that we've done in our house in April Fool's. But April Fool's is a time when things get mixed up. When you... Think that this is the truth, but it's not really the truth. You're being sold something that looks like truth, but it's not truth. And it's also a time when, you know, a fool is also somebody who goes after things that are not valuable as if they're valuable, right? Who, you, you like to trick somebody to buy something that, you know, if you believe that one, I've got some swampland in Florida to sell you. That's, that's the kind of a phrase we sometimes say, that we have some things that we can sell you that's not valuable um so we've been talking about um the exodus and leaving egypt we've been talking about slavery these are some things from slavery so welcome to all of our guests all of the olsons and the whole clan from baroni and a lot of other guests I've, I've met and seen here so just to catch you up on the story we've been going through the story of exodus these are some reliefs of s- slaves in exodus we've been going through that and we got to the Going through the Red Sea last week, and um, fools rebel against kings. That's what kings want you to know. Fools rebel against kings. So um, they say that it's false and futile to try to rebel against me because I have control. And if you mess with me, I will take you out. I have the power to kill you, so don't mess with me. That's kind of the way it goes. So um, Pharaoh was that kind of king. Um, fools rebel. Also, we've been doing this fruitful becomes futile. So way back, we started in Genesis, God created a good world. This world that we have was created good, very good. And he welcomed us to join him in the work, to do what he was doing, to be his vice regents and rule over this Make things work well. And then we decided to rebel. And the result was weeds and death and exile. And life became futile. It became not just growing things, but growing weeds. And then we started doing that to each other. The slavery was an example of the injustice that resulted in societies, between societies, between families, where people made each other's lives futile and made each other's lives miserable. So we've been looking at the Exodus, and when Moses said, uh, God wants us to go worship and serve him in the desert, Pharaoh's response was, Lies! Make bricks! More snow straw! Just make... You think you can rebel against me? I've got the power. And you have to do what I want. And so... Pharaoh said, you all are fools to try to rebel against me because I have the power and I can make your lives miserable. And he did, and they were so discouraged that they thought, you know, maybe we are wrong to hope in any of this. And so he made their lives miserable, but then Moses said, no, actually, Yahweh says you need to do this. And Pharaoh's response was, who is Yahweh? And why should I obey him? And so Yahweh, God, showed who he was to Pharaoh, with ten plagues that ended with darkness, and then the death of his firstborn, and then they took off, and then they. Pharaoh said, "Whoa, whoa!" I let them go. He chased them, and they went through the Red Sea as the, it was parted. We learned last week, and then Pharaoh's army went in, and the Red Sea went over, and killed the power that had kept them in slavery. So who? was the fool. Pharaoh said, you're fools if you think you can come against me. But as these all mounted up, who ended up being the fool? Pharaoh. Ended up being a huge fool for not acknowledging who was really ruling and who really had the power of life and death. Of the power over creation. Now, the, um, the issue that comes to us. Now, i got a, another question for you. Tell me about something, I'll I'll give you an example. Tell me about something that you felt was futile. A job you had. Kids, have you ever had any chores that you had to do that you thought was really pointless and futile? Yeah? Raking. Raking. Okay. Somebody else? I see a hand over there. I didn't hear it. Cleaning your bedroom, yes. Washing the car in the rain. Okay? Sometimes doing what God wants. Okay? Making your bed. Because you're going to sleep in it again, right? So what's the point, right? I remember my, when my mom, um, when I, had to cl- I had to take the spuds off of the potatoes. You know, so the potatoes, we, we, we kept potatoes all year round until the next crop came in. We pretty much ate all our vegetables out of our garden so that, you know, after a while they start, sp- and then you got to rub the spuds off. And I'm like, these spuds are just going to come back. Why am I doing this? And besides that, I mow the lawn, and it just grows again, and I have to mow it again, and then I have to cut the wood and split the wood and bring it in, and then I, next week I have to do that again. And, and we have to, we, you know, plant the garden, but then we have to weed the garden. Then we have to harvest the garden, and then we have to take the spuds off the potatoes. Why do we do this? And my mom was like, you think your life is like that? How about all the meals you eat and all the clothes that get washed and all that? Does it ever feel like life is futile? Um, Like it's all just paying for the mortgage and the taxes and the, you know, just on the treadmill? And work is futile and life is futile and what you're doing is pointless. And then on top of that, Ecclesiastes says, this is a good Bible. It says, "All it's meaningless. It's useless. Because of death... Everything under the sun is useless. It ends at the grave. There is no point. So just in case you thought you were getting something that wasn't futile, I want you to know you're going to die. And then nobody's going to remember what you did. You can put your name on some plaque on some building someplace, but nobody's going to care who that is. And uh, even your great-grandkids are maybe going to remember your name. So just in case you were encouraged just want to let you know. Life, in some ways, is futile. Um, now, here's what we're told. But if you build up for your retirement, if you do it really well, then you can retire. Here's what Jesus had to say about retirement. Jesus told him a story. A rich man had a futile f- fertile farm that produced fine crops. Then he said, I know, I'll tear down my barns. So then he said, I'll tear down my barns, build bigger ones, and I'll sit back and say to myself, My friend, you have enough stored away for years to come. Now take it easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool. This very night, you're going to die. Then who will get everything you work for? That's kind of what Ecclesiastes says too. And the person who gets it, he might be a bigger fool than you. He might just, that's what happened to Solomon. The guy who took, he was a real big fool. And the great kingdom he built was squandered. So, what is foolishness, and where is wisdom, and can there be any meaning in this life? That's a big question. Um, So, April Fool's. Let's look at 1 Corinthians 15. If you've got a Bible, there's a Bible right in front of you. There's a hymnal and a Bible in front of you, if you didn't bring one. Um, that's an NIV version. I'm using some of that, and, and some of what will be up here is New Living Translation. I thought some of it was a little easier to understand. So don't be shocked if the translation is a little different than what's in front of you. But um, 1 Corinthians 15 says this, It is this good news that saves you. It can rescue you from futility, from death, from slavery, from all of it, if... You continue to believe the message I told you. That means to trust, not just to know something in your head, but to trust in and value and build your life on the message I told you. Unless, of course, you believe something that was never true in the first place. So if it's April Fool's, great faith in thin ice is not a good thing. This is a good time for great faith in thin ice, right? Um, If you go on YouTube, you know, people are getting ready for April Fool's on Easter. I saw some pictures of kids getting chocolate-covered eggs that they bit into were actually just eggs. And and not even hard-boiled eggs, but just eggs. And, you know, the kid's like, yeah! I I don't know who would do that to a kid. But some people are cranking up for April Fool's. Um, And some of us, life is like that. We thought it was a chocolate-covered egg. We bit into it and we're like, Is this all there is to life? Um, If you believed something that wasn't true, you're going to be disappointed, right? So there's a lot of eggs out there. Which one are you going to bite into? Which one has that good center? Maybe even a completely solid chocolate egg. Not even one of those cream-filled things, but really good, solid chocolate. And which ones are just going to be disappointing? Um, That's the question. And death is the question that really makes us say, what is worth it? What's worth value? So three months ago, I stood in front of my father's dead body and said he was a fool. Or he was very wise. Because he staked it all on that what he believed in the first place was true. He did not save for a good retirement. He worked 70 hours a week and saved very little and staked it on that the church was going to make the difference in the world, that people were going to last. And he spent his life that way. He's either a fool, a big fool, or really wise. And you're going to get to the end of life and find out, were you a fool or were you really low eyes? Did you invest well or did you invest poorly? So Paul goes on in this chapter and says, I passed on to you what was most important and what had also been passed on to me. So Paul heard this from people who had seen it and he passed it on to them. And this is what he said. This is what he, was important to him. Christ died for our sins. Just as the Bible said, the Scriptures, the Old Testament for them, but their Bible said, he was buried. So again, what does the Scriptures say? Well, this is this whole story about Israel and the Exodus and what was happening. And, and all of that was about this. He was buried. He was raised from the dead on the third day. He really died? He really raised from the dead, just as the Scriptures said. He was seen by Peter and then by the Twelve. After that, he was seen by more than 500 of his followers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have died at the time Paul wrote this. Um, Then he was seen by James and later by all the apostles. Last of all, as though I had been born at the wrong time, I also saw him. So Paul is saying this is what he passed on. And he's saying this is what really happened. And there's eyewitnesses that saw it. That Jesus was raised from the dead. Um, Then he goes on and says this. And if Christ has not been raised, then all of our preaching is useless. Meaningless. And your faith is useless. I want you to get that there's no in-between. There's no, I'm kind of believing this and I'm kind of believing that. Pharaoh's got a good point, And Moses, he's, he's got a good point too. There is no in-between. And we apostles sh- would be lying about God. That's serious. For we have said that God raised Christ from the grave. And if Christ has not been raised, then your faith is useless. And you are still guilty of your sins. You have not been forgiven. You've not been freed from sin's power. In that case, all who have died believing in Christ are lost. My father, he believed Christ was going to raise him. What a fool. If Christ wasn't really raised. If there is no resurrection. In that case, and if our hope in Christ is only for this life, we are more to be pitied than anyone in the world. Now most of us haven't had the kind of life Paul did. But you know, Paul got beat up. He got thrown in jail. He got left for dead. He got 40 lashes. He got shipwrecked. And he did it all because he believed this good news was real. The apostles who were eyewitnesses to Jesus dying all died themselves because they, they saw it and they said, this is real. Caesar is not king. Jesus is king. And I'm going to stick with that. I'm going for that. But a lot of us kind of have our in between, there's a saying in Swahili um, that the hyena was defeated by two paths. So the, the, the hyena liked, he saw this goat and he's going down that goat path and then he saw the chicken over there. He said, oh, but I like chicken. And then what the goat and then the chicken and the goat. And he ended up cutting in half. That's how the story goes. He split in half because he had desires over there and desires over there. And the point is the, the hyena is a glutton and a fool because he wants both. And the one who wants everything usually gets nothing. Uh, that's another Swahidi saying. Um, if you want both, you're probably going to get neither. Paul did not have a, like, I'm going to be a Christian pretty much but also get all the stuff the world has, pretty much. We have to decide if this is real or not. Paul goes on and says, but in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. Now, we're going to show a video, if we can pull that up. I I decided rather than me try to put all the evidence together about the... uh, why christ was really this guy does it pretty well in three minutes pay attention because he puts a lot in there
2: these trouble so here we go stand legal editor of the chicago tribune i would have smirked at the fact that easter this year falls on april fool's day because back then i thought that anyone would have to be a fool to think that jesus literally rose from the dead one day my wife gave me the news that she'd become a christian and so I decided to take my journalism training and legal training and debunk the resurrection of Jesus. So I spent two years of my life analyzing the historical data. And what I found really shocked me. I recounted in my book, The Case for Miracles. First of all, I found that there's no dispute among scholars that Jesus was dead after being crucified. Uh, the famous atheist New Testament scholar, Gerd Ludemann, says it's historically indisputable that he was dead. The Journal of the American Medical Association says that based on the historical and medical evidence that Jesus was clearly dead even before the wound to his side was inflicted. Second, we have early reports of the resurrection of Jesus, reports that come so quickly you can't just write them off as being a legend. In fact, we have one report of the resurrection including named eyewitnesses that has been dated back by scholars to within months of the death of Jesus. Friends, that is historical gold third we have the empty tomb and i found that even the opponents of jesus implicitly conceded that the tomb of jesus was empty and then fourth we have nine ancient sources inside and outside the new testament confirming and corroborating the conviction of the disciples that they encountered the resurrected jesus friends that is an avalanche of historical data and then we have seven ancient sources inside and mostly outside the new testament that confirmed that the disciples lived lives of deprivation and suffering as a result of their proclamation that jesus had risen why were they willing to do that because they heard a rumor that he'd risen no because they were there they touched him they ate with them they talked with them they knew the truth and knowing the truth they were willing to proclaim it even despite the suffering they endured friends i spent two years investigating this evidence and it came down to one day when i reviewed it all and i thought you know what based on the historical data my verdict is that jesus not only claimed to be the son of god he backed up that claim by returning from the dead and that's the moment that i decided to confess my sin to turn from that to receive this free gift of forgiveness and eternal life that jesus purchased for me on the cross And at that moment, I became a child of God. Some people have a rush of emotion at that moment. I didn't. You know what I had? I had the rush of reason. Because the resurrection of Jesus is not some April Fool's Day joke. It is a historical reality based not on mythology or make-believe or wishful thinking, but a solid foundation of historical truth. Okay, so you
1: can read the book or you can check it out yourself. We can have some more discussions about there's a lot of evidence for historical fact that Jesus raised from the dead. <clears throat> now, Enlightenment scholars decided that they had discovered that people don't rise from the dead. Oh, well, ancients, they thought people like died and then they came back. But now we're scientific. We learned that that doesn't happen. No, they knew (laughs) what happened when people were dead. But then they saw that Jesus wasn't dead. So science does repeatable experiments, right? History talks about what happened. So, you know, pastors never wear their boots in the pulpit, but I did a couple weeks ago. You know, I could eat this lily and you could say, pastors never eat lilies when they're in the pulpit, but it could happen, right? Um, So some things are repeatable and some things just happen in history um george washington only crossed the delaware one time was it the delaware um anyway um so i'm not going to argue for that anymore we can have that discussion later but what i want to ask is first of all what is the resurrection so he's the first of a great harvest of all who have died and i want you to notice that that's a reference to passover Romans 6 to 8 is a reference to the Exodus. Because the Passover was also a first fruits um, celebration. When they brought the first fruits, he's the first fruit. He's the first harvest. Um, We've talked about this connection with the Passover and why Jesus chose to die on Passover. But that was another Sunday. Um, I want to go on to talk about what is resurrection. Because we get confused by our society and a lot of other things. It's not... A myth of progress. That things are going to get better and better, in and there's life. And, and people have been trying to sell us progress for a long time. Marx and Lenin sold us progress. Um, I mean, Hitler sold us progress. Every president has sold us progress. You know, I'm going to make things better. America's going to be great. It's a new world order. It's a whatever. It's not that much better, at least in my observation. And people keep saying, I'm a progressive, or, or I'm a conservative. we going to go back to the big good old days, what, whatever. It's not getting better and better. Evolution says things are getting better and better, but physics says things are winding down. And so things are not getting better and better. That's not what resurrection hope is. It's also not just a spiritual hope that my spirit is going to live on that I'm going to go to heaven when I die. The New Testament actually says very little about going to heaven when you die. It says we'll be present with the Lord when we're absent from the body, but that's not the New Testament hope. Heaven is where God is right now. It's His dimension, and it's close. And that's where God is being worshipped. That's where people go. the best analogy is when you die, your software gets uploaded to his hard, hardware. But that's not what you're waiting for. You're waiting for new hardware to be created for your software to be downloaded into on a new earth and a new place. We get new hardware and new bodies. Jesus did not just spiritually rise. His body was gone. That matter that was his body was pulled up and taken into a new and a new kind of body a kind of body that still had nail marks that was still physical that could still eat that was still physical in that way and yet had unusual properties like showing up places and disappearing places and and uh, coming through doors we don't get it and the eyewitnesses weren't trying to create something they were just like this is what happened I saw him, I touched him, he ate with us. They're not trying to like create some kind of legend. They're just, this is what happened. I I don't know what kind of body that is. I never met a body like that before. We saw Lazarus be resurrected, but that was just like who he was before and he just died again. But Jesus was resurrected into a new kind of body that we're all going to be resurrected into. He was the first fruit of a harvest that's going to be different. And when it talks about going to heaven, the point is going, even when he comes back, we're going to meet him on his way to a new earth. He's going to make this earth again. There's a new movie out, which I haven't gotten to see yet, called I Can Only Imagine. Is it good? Okay. Great. I'm sorry, I should have done my homework and gone to the movies before I preach preached this, but... Um, The one thing I don't like about the phrase, though, is it implies I can only imagine like it's all like we don't know what it could be like when John described it. He said there's a river, there's trees, there's a banquet, there's a wedding feast, there's a city, there's a city coming down from heaven to earth. It's physical. God didn't mess up when he created the world. He created a good world. And he didn't go like, oh, that matter stuff in space and time, I'll forget that. Why did I do that? No, no, no. He said, that's very good. We messed it up. And he said, watch out for 2.0. This can be better yet. You think these bodies are good? Wait for 2.0. You think, I can do better than that. But it's the same kind of and yet a new kind of. Um, so life after life after death is what the New Testament really talks about. It talks about resurrection life on a new heaven and a new earth that we're going to enjoy. Jesus rising begins the transformation of everything. He's the first fruit. He, they use the example of like a seed to a new plant. You can, you're going to have a seed that's going to become something different than the seed is. The seed dies, but then something else is raised that doesn't look like a seed, but it's got the same DNA. It's got similar stuff from that seed. So it's the beginning of the transformation of everything. So if Jesus rose from the dead in a new body, and we're going to have new bodies on a new earth that's going to be totally different... Where are you going to put your stock? You can't take it with you, but you can invest ahead. You can send it ahead. There is a new world order coming that's really a new world order. Okay? We're, yeah, when you die, you're going to go to a guest house on the way to the destination. So all fly away is great, but I don't want to be stuck in the airplane. I want to land at my new home. And if i got to have a layover someplace, that's okay, especially if it's with Jesus. But I want to get to my new destination when I land on the new heaven and the new earth in my new body. Let's read on what Paul says. So you see, just as death, came into the world through a man. Now the resurrection from the dead has begun through another man. Just as everyone dies because we all belong to Adam, everyone who belongs to Christ will be given new life. But there's an order to this resurrection. Christ was raised as the first of the harvest. Then all who belong to Christ will be raised when he comes back. When? When he comes back. We're looking forward to Jesus coming back. What do we pray? Your kingdom come Your will be done on earth as it is already in heaven. We're waiting for that new time. He says, after that, the end will come when He will turn the kingdom over to God the Father, having destroyed every ruler and authority and power. For Christ must reign until He humbles all His enemies beneath His feet. And the last enemy to be destroyed is death. So this is the picture of a conquering king who brings the opposing king says, come here. Sit here. What did you say? Tell me something else. And puts his foot on the neck of the king that he's conquered. You think you're bad? Tell me again. That's the picture we have of Jesus conquering all of his enemies. It's the picture we have of the enslaving enemies that we saw drowned in the Red Sea. The, the, the Bible, Pharaoh was humbled. He found out who Yahweh is, who God is. The world, society against us, Satan against the flesh, the sinfulness and sin. In Romans 6 to 8, sin becomes personified as this thing that's got its grips on us, it's this thing that's holding us down like a, a Power, a force, a person that's holding us down. And death is the final enemy that's going to be destroyed. And you know what? When there is no death to fear, you're free. Because what are they going to hold over you if you don't fear death? That, in fact, is the problem that every tyrant has had with Jesus. Caesar had a terrible time with Jesus. Um, there's a, there's a, a play where Herod is depicted as saying, "What he's going around resurrecting people from the dead? I don't want any resurrecting from the dead. I forbid resurrecting from the dead. <laughs> and actually, Acts shows us the picture of Herod trying to kill Peter who gets out of jail. And then Herod himself says, oh, you know, I'm pretty good. And then he ends up dying. Caesar said, no, I am Lord. And there's a bunch of people that said, no, Jesus is Lord. And we're willing to die because we know that death is no big deal. Jesus has already been through that. That's just the Red Sea. We come out on the other side. Right. So when people try to say, you know, that didn't happen, resurrection is nothing, it's no big Why do they do that? They have a vested interest. They want your ratings. They want your money. They want your Values and investment—they—they want to be boss over you, and tell you they want you to be enslaved to their values, where they get to call the shots. You're going to have to serve somebody. You can serve Jesus and be free, or you can serve all those other powers out there that are telling you what you have to do to have a good life, what you have to buy, who you have to be with, how you have to dress, what you. You can fit society and be enslaved to that or you can be free because you don't fear even the last enemy of death. Um, Paul goes on in this chapter and and says a lot about what kind of bodies and explains how these bodies will be. Um, And I'm not going to take a lot of time there. But I wanted to get to kind of his point because the real question is, resurrection, so what? So We asked if the resurrection is true. I'm going to say it is. That's why I'm putting my money. I think the evidence is there. The resurrection is true. What is the resurrection? We talked about that. So what? So Jesus died and rose again. So we can be risen again. So what? Who cares? What difference does it make? Paul says this, verse 51 in chapter 15. But let me reveal to you a wonderful secret. We will not all die, but we will all be transformed. In other words, when Jesus comes back, some of us will still be alive. We're going to be transformed whether we died or not. It will happen in a moment, in the blink of an eye, when the last trumpet is blown. When that trumpet sounds, those who have died will be raised to live forever. And we who are living... Will also be transformed. For our dying bodies must be transformed into bodies that will never die. Our mortal bodies must be transformed into immortal bodies. If that's going to happen, you're a fool not to plan for that. If it's not going to happen, you're a fool to plan on that. Figure out the evidence check out what the numbers look like and what the evidence is and place your bets. But I'd suggest you place all your bets because there's no in-between, like half raised. You're going to be raised or you're going to be dead. So eat, drink, and be merry, Paul says, like the fool, or invest in a meaningful forever life. Then, when our dying bodies have been transformed into bodies that will never die, this scripture will be fulfilled. Death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? It's a little mocking thing going on here. A little trash talking. Now, oh, come on, death, come on. Where is your sting? For sin is the sting that results in death, and the law gives sin its power. But, thank God, He gives us victory over sin and death through our Lord Jesus Christ. Anybody say amen to that? You have victory over the sin that's trying, trying to hold you down, over the sin that's been messing up our society, over death and the futility that it brings. He has given us victory through His resurrection. So what? So now what? He says the point. So, my dear brothers and sisters, be strong and immovable. Always work enthusiastically for the Lord, for you know that nothing you do for the Lord is ever useless. Got that? We just said everything's meaningless in Ecclesiastes. This fool got all this money and was pointless. And if faith is wrong, it's useless. But, he says Christ is risen, we are going to rise, and therefore nothing, nothing you do for the Lord is useless. Now I want you to know that doesn't just apply to what you do in church. Let me, let me read a little bit. Um, confessing my sources, I got a lot of this from N.T. Wright and Surprised by Hope. I've really enjoyed this book. He talks about how we're citizens of heaven. But he says, the Philippians who were citizens of heaven, that meant that, they, that Rome didn't want them to come back to Rome. They were supposed to live in Philippi and take the culture of Philippi of, the, of Rome and make the colonies like Rome. The point is for us to infest the world with the kingdom of God. That's the point that all the gospels actually make in their own ways. Jesus is risen. Therefore, God's new world has begun. Jesus is risen. Therefore, Israel and the world has been redeemed. Bought back like Exodus, right? Jesus is risen. Therefore, his followers have a new job to do. And what's that new job? To bring the life of heaven to birth in actual, physical, earthly reality. Jesus' resurrection is the beginning of God's new project. Not to snatch people away from earth to heaven, but to colonize earth with the life of heaven. That, after all, is what the Lord's prayer is about. Your kingdom come on earth. The resurrection is indeed the foundation for a renewed way of life in and for the world. But to get that social, political, and cultural result, you really do need the bodily resurrection, not just some spiritual resurrection. So he says we can when the final resurrection occurs as the centerpiece of God's new creation, we will discover that everything done in the present world in the power of Jesus' own resurrection will be celebrated and included, appropriately transformed. Romans 8 talks about how creation is groaning, that's on tiptoe, waiting for the sons of God to be revealed because we messed up and put it under a curse. The weeds weren't creation's idea. It came from Our mess up. Creation is waiting. With Easter, God's new creation is launched upon a surprised world, pointing ahead to the renewal, the redemption, the rebirth of the entire creation. Every act of love, every deed done in Christ and by the Spirit, every work of true creativity, doing justice, making peace, healing families, resisting temptation, seeking and winning true freedom, is an earthly event in a long history of things that implement Jesus' own resurrection and anticipate the final new creation and act as signposts of hope, pointing back to the first, Jesus' resurrection, and on to the second, the new resurrection, when he comes back. What you do, whatever it is, raising the family, taking the spuds off of the potatoes... Whatever it is, has a point in the next life. Now, we have had some misconceptions. We've thought that, you know, it's all going to get burned up anyways. So let's just pray and evangelize and tell people, let's go there. Don't worry about this. You know, it's a mess. Forget it. We're going there. No, we pray your kingdom come on earth. And when it comes on earth, it's a sign. It's a foretaste of that new creation. We have to invest in the earth that's going to be rebirthed, and yet it's not just a progressive, it's all going to get better and we're going to have new organizations and we're going to make things fine. It's got to be transformed, like a seed becoming a new plant. Um, I think some of you might have heard of J.R. Tolkien. You heard of him? He wrote something called Lord of the Rings and the Hobbit. You, know, you guys have heard of that person, have you? Okay, I thought so. Um, he wrote a book about a little short story called Leaf by Niggle. Now, niggle means to waste time and procrastinate, and I can identify. He's trying to perfect this thing, and, and Tolkien could identify. He spent decades creating new languages and new thousand years of histories for all these different um, societies, and he was, he was getting into this stuff but not really getting anywhere and writing anything. And then World War II was breaking out, and lo- lo- England looked like it was going to get destroyed, And he was like, you know, what is the point? And then he came up with this short story that he just wrote about this person, this artist who who was painting, and he had this vision of this tree, and then this landscape behind it, and mountains, and all this stuff. And he was trying to paint this tree, and he he kept doing it, and then rubbing it out, and fixing it, and trying... He never really... He kept doing it, and then he kept getting interrupted with all this mundane stuff. And his neighbor kept coming over and needing stuff. His neighbor was lame and his wife was sick and he was always needing stuff. So he, he would do this in his shed and then he'd, he'd go and, and his neighbor would interrupt him and he'd have to go help out. And, and, um, and he knew that there was a big trip coming. And he should be getting ready for the trip, but he wasn't really getting ready for the trip because he was he, he, too much to do. Anybody ever had that experience? Yeah. And, and it had taken too long to do it and not really making any progress. And in the end, he went on this journey and he had to leave his painting that he was trying to get done. And it all kind of fell apart in his shed. And um, and there was one leaf that got framed and stuck in a corner of a museum someplace. And it was called Leaf by Nigel. So he'd gotten a leaf done of this grand project that he had. And then, um, so this is a, another depiction of it. He's trying to do this thing in his shed. And there's his neighbor who's out, you know, always bothering him with stuff that he needs help with and can't get to what he really wants to do. Anyway, he goes and then um, turns out eventually on this journey, he comes to this landscape that is what he was painting. What he was painting has become this land. the, The tree is there. And the landscape is there. And his neighbor who was always bothering him is there to help him garden this landscape and whether it was there before and he just had a vision of it or his painting it created this new landscape and it wasn't just a leaf it wasn't just a tree it was it was an entire landscape eventually goes off and explores the mountains that he had visions of and i think there's something and actually that kind of inspired tolkien and he finally got around to writing some stuff and his friend c.s lewis kind of egged him on a little bit and he He wrote something that was kind of a leaf. And, you know, it's in a few bookstores. You could probably find it. Um, Hobbit or some of those, you know. He got something done in the end. Some of you have even appreciated that he got something done in the end, right? Are you glad Tolkien wrote something? Um, And does it matter eventually that Tolkien wrote something? I think so. I think it matters in the new creation that Tolkien gave us a picture of what things could be like. So this, I think, is a, just a story, but we, I can't describe to you how it is that you're changing diapers, um, speaking to the uh, Jim Olson crew here, um, or you're working in school, doing the dumb homework, you know, all the stuff that you're doing. I can't explain to you how doing the dishes with the right attitude, is actually going to play into the new creation. But it is. Everything you do in the Lord Jesus, with that resurrection power, that new life in you, is making a difference there. We say we are here to radiate life and joy as a house of prayer for all nations. Where do we get that life and joy? Not from the pastor. We get it from Jesus, who was resurrected, the risen one. Where do we get that joy? From knowing that it's not futile. From knowing that this matters. What we do together here, and what we do when we go out there, making whatever difference you make in your job, in your family, in your relationships. The resurrection matters. Jesus is risen. You will rise if you trust him. And we're going to a whole new earth. Now you can say I'm a fool to believe that. You might be right. You can stick with what everybody else is telling you. But that's going to end in futility, in my opinion. (laughs) So, Jesus is risen. He is risen. risen He's alive. He is is risen. risen Therefore, life, new bodies. Death has been defeated. It's going to be destroyed. Hope. New creation with no weeds. We have hope. Freedom. Enslaving powers like the world and sin and death and everything else that's trying to squeeze us into its mold. Defeated. Meaning and purpose. New work. Freedom from slavery and the fear that makes you a slave and futility, that doesn't really matter. I'm just trying to get to Friday so I can get my paycheck, so I can go spend the money that I got and then take care of the stuff that I spend my money on. Meaning and purpose. So, my dear brothers and sisters, be strong and immovable. Always work enthusiastically for the Lord. For you know that nothing you do for the Lord is ever useless. God sees what you do. He sees how you do it. He sees the attitude you do it with. And He is planting that seed into the new creation. It's going to be beautiful. Garden of Eden was nice. New Jerusalem is going to be, I can only imagine. Let's pray together. And, worship team, would you come up? Lord, we believe. Help us in our unbelief. Help us in our unbelief, Lord, because we're given so many other messages. There are so many other rulers in this world, so many other powers that want our time, our money, our attention, our ratings, our... they want to keep us distracted. But Lord, we want to focus on forever. Forever. We want to focus on resurrection. We want to see you, the risen one. And we want to be with you, not only there, but here in a new heaven and a new earth. We want what we do to matter. Thank you for making it possible. Thank you, like you did in Egypt. For showing who you are. That you have the power. You have gone through the Red Sea and out the other side. Just as in baptism, we're buried in that Red Sea and raised again. You were buried in the tomb and raised again. We enter into that life in our baptism. We want to be citizens of heaven, of the new kingdom. We want to live like citizens of that kingdom. We want to work like our work matters. We want to love like loving is forever. But Lord, we can't do it. We don't have the power. Resurrection power is not in us. It's in you, the risen one. We need your power. Loving beyond borders, ethnicities and race and nation is not in us. That's in you. That's what's going to happen in the new kingdom. All of these things that we desire are in you. And we want to see them happen. We want to be part of it. And you have told us we can be part of it now. In our prayer, in our work, in our loving, in our wor- in, just in life. We can have life with you. Make that possible, Lord. Do it in us. Amen. We're going to sing a little bit, celebrate a little more. This uh, altar is open here. I'm thinking some of you want to come up here and celebrate. Some of you want to come up here and realign your values. Some of you want to come up here and pray with somebody. Some of you want to come up here and say, I don't get it, but I'd like to know more. Um, some of you want to say, yeah, I, I, I get it, I want it. So I'm, I'm inviting you to come up here. You can also talk to somebody next to you and, on your way out or whatever, but This is a good time, a good place. We're going to take a few minutes. And we're going to sing first of all, Alleluia. Do the chant first. Okay, we're going to sing another one. That's about what's going to happen. What's where we're going with this new creation, this new kingdom, and when heaven becomes... You know, this is just... This is not really where we touch heaven as much as where heaven touches earth. This is a bridge into heaven heaven entering this world. So I want you to get the picture there. The heavenly gates are opening out for heaven to come here and for us to open out these gates and go out on the streets and dance upon injustice. We're not just opening gates so some people can sneak into heaven. The gates are opening on us and through us and out. So that heaven is coming here. So that the kingdom of God is coming here on this earth. Because the risen one is among us. So now, be blessed. In the name of the Father who sent His Son, who created everything. In the name of the Son who died for you and has risen for your life. In the name of the Spirit who fills you and accompanies you as you go out to a world that desperately needs hope and a future, a resurrection life from their futility and useless path. Go out in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit and bring His kingdom. Let's build for His kingdom. Amen.